I'm so glad that you guys are here today. I never want to miss out on an opportunity to tell you guys how much of a blessing you are when you just show up to church. It makes such a huge difference. And, and because I'm preaching today, I'm, I'm glad there's more than five or six of you. It's great. I love, I kind of feed off of you guys. So hopefully you're awake. If you're not, you're going to be. My name is Matt King. I'm one of the pastors here at East Point Church, and I have a lot of different responsibilities. One of my responsibilities is to oversee the, the missions of the church, and so international, national, and, and local. And so today we're in a sermon series. We're closing it out. It's called the Jesus Tweets series. If you're not familiar with Twitter or tweeting or anything like that, it's, it's pretty simple. It's an online social networking program that allows for people to follow other people and stay up to date with what they're, what they're thinking and, and, and what they're saying. And so what we kind of done is taken this whole concept or idea, if Jesus were to be tweeting in this day and age, what would be the things that he's saying and how would he go about expressing these things to those who were following him. And so today's tweet is a short newsworthy statement that Jesus made. It's a pretty familiar one, I think, for a lot of people who were churchy people. Let me go ahead and give you that tweet right off the bat here. It's in Mark 16, 15. It says this, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. There you go. There it is. I've heard that a lot. A lot. See, uh, for those of you who don't know this, I grew up in the church. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I think from about four days old and all throughout my life up until my early 20s, I was in church, and so I spent a lot of time getting to know uh, these churchy kind of statements. In fact, every year we have what was called Revival Week in the church that I went to, and the whole idea of it was to take a verse like this, this Mark 16, 15 verse, or some other verse like it, and they would use it to whoop people up into a frenzy over the course of this week. They would preach messages every single night. Anybody here ever been to a Revival Week? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. It would light you up and you would, you would find this new strategy to go out into the world and to share your faith. And I remember particularly the way that this was taught to us uh, when I was a kid was the best strategy was is to somehow, some way, point out other people's sins. Yeah. And uh, proclaim them for them as to what it was that they were doing wrong. And then to live your life in such a way that they could look at your life and go, oh, you're so much closer to Jesus. I wish I lived like you. And, um, well, it didn't really work. A couple of reasons why that didn't work for me. One is, I, I don't know of anybody who likes to have Jesus shoved down their throat. I don't know of anybody who likes to have their flaws and their shortcomings pointed out. So that was one reason why it didn't work. The other reason why it didn't work is, um, well, I, I didn't exactly like the rules. I was never one of those guys who was really um, all that holy. In fact, it was during those times when they would try to teach us about our responsibility to go out and reach into this world, I would take those things, those rules, those ideas, and I would think to myself, you know, that's exactly what it is that I should do. I should somehow, some way, become so good at reaching my friends, whether that was in junior high or high school or after that. I should be so good at reaching them, and I'm the one who's responsible for this. I remembered that part, but I never really liked the rules that went along with it. In fact, oftentimes what I felt like I was doing is rather than reaching somebody and helping them to see how much Jesus loved them, what I felt like I was doing is reaching them to show them a great big huge set of rules that they needed to follow. And some of the rules were just weird. I couldn't play with cards. 
I somehow, some way, playing with cards sends you straight to hell. I didn't, I didn't understand why I believed it. I couldn't go to movies, couldn't dance, couldn't drink. And so there were all of these rules, you couldn't smoke, couldn't do all this stuff. And so I thought, that's, that's cool, I get it, I, these are the rules. But when I would try to go and share these rules with people, that's all they would see instead of seeing love of God. Does that make sense? Okay. So I knew in my head that this wasn't right, even though I was strategically following what was taught to me to do, to point these things out in their life and say, hey, don't do them. I don't do them. But I struggled with the fact that, well, I, I, I liked playing with cards. My mom and dad let me. And, you know, there were other things that, that I, I had not going for me, too. It seemed to me, like, personality-wise, I wasn't a good fit for that strategy. I really wasn't a good fit sometimes in church, either. See, I, I, um, I was a fighter. Yeah, I know. Shocker. But I, I was. I, I loved fighting. And I, I got into a lot of fights, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. And um, I ended up meeting a lot of friends that way. We became really good buddies. But that was not something that was looked upon in the church as being a good strategy for winning people over to Jesus Christ. And over the years, uh, I remember at one time, my, my boxing, one of the boxing coaches... He would, um, he would tell us, guys, you need to pay attention to your reach. Your reach is one of the most important things in any fight. And the reason for it is, is if your reach is longer than the guy that you're fighting, you have a definite chance of impacting the end of that fight in a positive way for you. Does that make sense? Okay. Just so it makes more sense, I was going to have a, a punching bag up on the platform this morning and I was going to demonstrate how my coach would always teach us, make sure when you strike your target, you always turn your hips so it increases your reach. Well, Teresa Arndt is our creative director, and she forgot to bring the punching bag for me. So she volunteered to come on up and be the bag. So, Teresa, <laughs> come on. So let me try to demonstrate this in a kind and gentle evangelistic way. All right? You want your reach to count for something, and so if you're going to impact something in this fight, you don't want to be so far away that when you swing, you never hit it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to hit you. Uh, you're just going to pretend. Maybe. Now, so when you get into it, you can measure off your reach, okay? Now, let's, let's turn around for a second. This will be more important. Go ahead. You're... You got a long reach. Take your reach out there and try to, there you go. Now there's mine. You see the, see the, the difference? That means if Teresa and I were to get into a fight, chances are she would win because of that reach. Thank you. Give her a round of applause, okay? No, the exact opposite would happen. Chances are she would lose in that fight because of reach. And so here's two things my coach always taught me. One, make sure you increase your reach. And staying close enough to your opponent so that your reach counts for something. Does that make sense? Remember that. Okay. So being a kid growing up, I had this passion for fighting. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what does that have to do with going to the world and, and, and preach the gospel to everyone, preach the good news to everyone? Here's why. I believe what God does is he takes people just like me, just like you, and he says... I want to teach you something. I want to teach you something that's unique to you in your way, in your style, in your personality. I made you that way, and so I know how to teach you in that way. 
And so what God did in my life is he started to reveal some things about who I am and who he made me to be and how he designed those things into me specifically so that I could do the stuff that he wants me to do in life. If you've been a part of church for a while, one of the things that you're going to hear is that God has things planned for you, specifically for you, that he wants you to do that makes an impact on his kingdom. And your reach is what's going to impact that or affect that. And so you must stand close enough to your target in order for your reach to count for something. And you must increase your reach. Turn your hips into it. So... That was me growing up. I didn't fit into the church, and I was the kind of person who was a lover of justice. When you're as passionate as what I am and filled with adrenaline like what I am, and you're addicted to it, you want more of it, and you combine all of those things, I was not a good candidate for growing up in the church and being a rule follower. Let me give you a story about injustice. This is how I am wired. When I was a kid growing up in our neighborhood, there was this black lab dog And this dog was always breaking his rope or his chain, and he was getting out and running around. He would chase us on our bikes, scared a pee-wadden out of us. One day, another neighborhood dog got loose. It was a little, one of those wiener dog things. What are they? Dachshunds, okay? This black lab bolts across the street into this dog's yard, grabs the dog and shakes it in half, kills it. Yeah? That exact feeling right there I remember witnessing that and not just going, oh, but but going, oh. And I made a plan. And that night, I took my buddy's 22 rifle, I snuck out in the middle of the night, and I shot that black lab in the head and killed it. Now, some of you are thinking, this dude is whacked. (laughs) You're right. I am. And God made me that way. Now, I'm not saying go out and shoot dogs because they, they, they do stuff like that. What I'm saying is, is that God said, man, I put that into you for a reason. I want to make it so that it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Well, another place where I saw a lot of injustice, believe it or not, was in the church. I witnessed so many things inside of the church and how people reacted to different things. And I, I saw some of the ways that people were treated. And I, I really, really began to believe that there were some things that needed to change. One of the things that I saw that was an injustice was... Somebody would come into the church and they they would wear a hat and they would get asked to leave. Or they would come into the church and they didn't really understand some of the dress code. And so they would be looked at in in a silly way. And, you know, it just over and over and over again, I got my fill of it. And so I started to ask some questions. I didn't get in any fights. No, I didn't bring a 22 to to church or anything like that. I I just began to ask the questions. Hey, what's the deal? Why, where does it say in the Bible that we can't play with poker cards? Where does it say that we can't drink? Where does it say that we can't go to dances? Or where does it say we can't do these things? And over and over and over again, I got labeled as being the guy who was kind of the fighter. But what happened was is that God in time said to me, Matt, this is how I've designed you. This is what I want you to do. Now, your strategy for going into the world and reaching it, it's not good. It's offensive. You're offensive, Matt. So I need you to change. And that's exactly what God has done in my life. I'm still going through some changes. Clearly, anybody who was close to me knows that. But there's some changes that God wants to do. First of all, let's talk about this fighting thing. I believe that there's a lot of people who need to understand what it means to fight in God's way. In fact, Paul wrote to uh, one of his students named Timothy. You find it in 1 Timothy 6.12. And this is what he says to him. It'll be on the screen for you. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well 
before many witnesses. Let that sink in for a minute. It's a good verse. Here is Paul speaking to this young student. He's saying to him, fight the good fight. He's implying, he's using an illustration there. He's implying that there's this war, that there's this battle going on, that there's something that's taking place inside of this world. And if you're not aware of this, then then you really need to hear this. There is indeed a fight that is going on in this world. And we have an enemy. And he has a strategic plan to not only infiltrate your life personally, but to infiltrate the church and to to render us useless, to steal away the kind of vinegar that you need to have flowing through your blood in order to step into the ring and actually be willing to fight this fight. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is, man, keep on fighting. Don't give up. Don't lose what it is that God placed inside of you that makes you say, this is something worth fighting for. And so he, he tells him this, and then what he says at the end of it is, And your confession of your faith in front of people has been so good. That's oftentimes the thing that we have to fight the hardest for. It's just to have the opportunity to be able to share with somebody, dude, my Jesus is cool. He really is. This whole thing about what I do with my life for him means something. And here's why I want to share that with you. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to him and how good that How good that that can be when you learn how to fight in a strategic way that God likes. Well, in 2003, I became a pastor. And uh, like I said, I grew up in the church and and I've been a part of ministries. But my my role changed in 2003 and I started to realize, man, (laughs) I need a better strategy. I need something else in my life that will help me to reach people because I genuinely genuinely want to reach people for Christ. That, that is the thing that I love, I live for. And I have watched so many people throughout the course of my life, even now while I'm sitting here and preaching to you about this, I'm rolling through in my head the different people that I have loved in my life and still to this day long to see them know the love of God rather than the rules of religion. And so... I still think about them. And maybe as I'm saying this, you're thinking to yourself too, man, I know I got the same group of people in my head and man, I, man I'd man, i love to somehow, some way, make my reach count or increase my reach in their life. Well, so I began praying, God, help me increase my reach, make my reach count for something. And these, these are the, the five things that I believe that over the years God has revealed to me. And by the way, these are the core values at East Point. So I want to share these five things with you today. If you're a note taker, that sheet that you got, these are the fill in the blanks for you. The first thing that God taught to me that I needed to have in my strategy for reaching the world is to be relational. To be relational. That is not necessarily an easy thing for everybody. I understand that there are some people here that from a personality standpoint, you're like, man, I don't like to speak. I don't like to talk. I don't like to assert myself in any way. And then there are others who are a little bit more gregarious, we're a little bit more outgoing, or a little bit out there. And it sometimes is a little bit easier that you think, the quiet people, that it's easier for the noisy people to get out there and share their faith. That's a myth. It's not true. In fact, sometimes it's the noisy people who are the most annoying yeah, you could laugh a little louder. I know that you were probably thinking, yeah, that's true about Matt. He's kind of annoying. So, relational. Let me give you an example of relational. Last week's sermon, Brian Alquist, Pastor Brian, I, I think he, if you haven't seen that sermon, you need to see that sermon. 
He did an amazing job. Go on to eastpointchurch.org, click on media, go down to messages, look at part three of the Jesus tweets, and, and, and watch that whole entire sermon. You'll be blessed. But one of the stories that he pointed out in there was the story of when Jesus went over to the tax collector's house and there was a party. And there were all these people that were there that were having a great time. And the Pharisees showed up and they started questioning why Jesus was hanging out with the scum. In that story, one of the things that was so cool that I want everybody to hear, the only people who thought it was weird that Jesus was hanging around with scumbags and sinners was the religious elite. Did you know that the scumbags and sinners were totally cool hanging out with Jesus? And that Jesus was totally cool hanging out with scumbags and sinners? It's shocking to me sometimes that when I think about the strategy that Jesus employed right there by being relational, if he were to be critiqued in the modern day church, many of them would boot him out of the church because he was just way too out there when it came to his evangelism strategy. And then, I love this story even better, Jesus, his first miracle, he is at a wedding reception party. And the partying is going on so great that they run out of wine. So what does Jesus do? The relational thing. Make more wine. <laughs> Lots of it. Good wine. Now, personally, I don't have the ability to be able to uh, turn water into wine. I've tried. Maybe it's a faith thing. But here's what I can do. I can sit down, pour a glass with a scumbag sinner, and be relational. That's easy for me. That's easy for me. God wants me to be relational. I believe he wants you to be relational in the way that you strategically approach this world with your reach. Does that make sense? Okay. Next thing that God taught me is he wanted me to be excellent. Let me explain what I mean by excellent. Some people can get a little confused right there. God loves excellence. He loves excellence. Look at the way that the tabernacle was described. Go back into the Old Testament do a Google search on tabernacle, look at all the verses, and you see there's so much detail that went into the tabernacle. Then the temple, excellence. The way that people went about the, the offerings and the sacrifices done with excellence. Everything about the, the creation and the design of creation cries out excellence. God loves excellence, and one of the things that I believe that he, he wants from me, he wants from you, is that we will never approach our honor or our worship of him or living our lives for him in a, in a half-hearted way, okay? I churched that up right there for you. Did you guys catch that? Half-hearted way. That's not what the world says, but it's what we Christians say. God wants us to do it full-hearted, whole-hearted. Can I get an amen? amen? Come on, thanks, guys. Now, here's an example of this, Genesis 4, 3 through 7. When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Here's what the story is essentially saying. What it's saying is, is that Cain kind of had this idea of, yeah, I'm going to bring some stuff to God. Abel's like, no, I'm going to bring the best that I have for God. One had an attitude of excellence. Ah, it's okay. The other is excellence. It is what I believe that I owe my God. 
And I believe that what God wants from me in my life and what he wants from you in your life is that when we approach other people with a reach, wanting them to understand how cool our God is, it should be reflected in the way that we live our life. That somehow, some way, that my devotion to him should be the, one of the first things known to somebody. That they would look at me and without question, would be like, man, that dude is a Jesus freak. And even if I come across to somehow, some way annoying, if I am being relational, they then can handle some of that enthusiasm for excellence. People should know that going to church is important to me. It's significant to me. That learning something out of the Bible is significant to me. If you don't know that the people around you know that you are a Christian or a believer or a follower, I can promise you, your reach sucks. Your reach is not good enough. They must know. And your attitude toward that should be an attitude of, man, I want to be excellent at making sure that people know that this Jesus thing matters to me. It's significant. When I make my offering to him, I want it to be the best of what I've got. Does that make sense? Okay, next thing. Uh, this one was really pretty easy for me. It's not like God said, man, you need to learn this. You just need to tone this back. It's authentic. God wants us to be authentic. He wants me to be authentic. He wants every single person here to be authentic. And let me, let me explain what I mean by authentic or authenticity. Jesus was authentic. Jesus was always moving into a situation, very relational, definitely relational, always with excellence. Jesus was never sloppy, and he moved forward with authenticity. For instance, he confronted the Pharisees with all their hypocrisy. He just laid it out for them. That's the way it is. He confronted it. Remember the woman at the well? He confronted her. Hey, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You've been with five guys, you're with the sixth guy, now you're not even married to him. I know your story. I know what your biz is. What about the guy who was the rich, young ruler? Jesus confronted him, man, man, with genuine love it says that he looked at him and said, dude, here's the deal. You love money. You need to go get rid of that and then come follow me. He confronted people. But we also see that authenticity is not just confronting people. Authenticity means when you own your own biz. And you're able to say to somebody, oh, man, you know, I, I love... I loves me some Jesus. I like when Jeff says that to Pastor Jeff. I loves me some Jesus. I loves me some Jesus. That's the way all of the disciples were. Everybody knew that about them, but they also knew, oh, yeah, I, I, I boogered that one up. And the Bible is filled with people being authentic, isn't it? I mean, all the way back, we want to go back to Abraham. I mean, the, the dude, he, he was a wuss. He was afraid of getting into a fight, so he told everybody, that's my sister. It's not my wife. How would that make her feel? Huh. Not a fight for him. What about David? I mean, we can't mention people failing without mentioning David. I mean, when was the last time anybody here decided to go and rape a woman and then murder her husband? If you did, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> I'm just saying. We like to talk about failure in David in the same sentence. It's a big deal. Yet these are the kind of people that are godly people. Authenticity is when we go, you know what? I love my God. And I fail my God, but my God doesn't fail me. And I am so grateful for the fact that he is merciful and kind and just to me. That's authenticity. We can admit our struggles, and this world around us will respect us for that. The next thing that God taught me was to be creative. Creative in the way that I would approach evangelism. In fact, 
Jesus was one of the most creative individuals, I think, that ever walked the earth. I, I struggle sometimes going, okay, what can I do now? And, and, and I, I go back and I look at scripture and I see all these incredible ways that Jesus was creative and the way that he would approach people. Two of the stories already mentioned, that he goes and hangs out with a bunch of people at a party and, and chills with them and then makes some wine. He was a very creative individual in the way that he would turn, turn any situation into an opportunity to be able to talk a little bit more about God and about the kingdom. Very creative. I want to tell you a story about a person who decided to get creative. Maybe you've heard of uh, Penn and Teller. They're a, a Las Vegas act. Um, Gillette, uh, uh, Penn, uh, Gillette is a, uh, a very well-known atheist. He's very vocal about the fact that he doesn't believe in any god He's also an incredible partier. He is, is basically, he believes that sex and, and alcohol and humor are the pinnacles of life. That's utopia, is to experience those things. And so he's very, very vocal. If you've ever been to one of his shows, you'll know that there's a lot of swearing. There's just a lot of stuff that goes on in one of those shows that typically is not the kind of stuff you'd see from a platform in a church. All right? One day... A man shows up at one of his shows, goes through the whole entire show, even participates in the show as he was randomly selected from the audience. After the show, the guy, the guy walks up to Pendulette and, and hands him a Bible, a Gideon's Bible, with an inscription inside of it and hands it to him. And it made such an impact on this well-known atheist that he went home that night and put his own YouTube video out there explaining how much this impacted him. Now, I don't have the whole YouTube video for you, but trust me, go online, Google it, YouTube, Pendulette Evangelism, and you'll see his homemade YouTube. I want to give you a quote out of this YouTube video that he made. This is what he said. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward... How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, or in other words, evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody believe, to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. This is from an atheist basically saying or calling out to those who are Christians, if you really do believe what you are saying you believe and you choose to allow everybody else to have a strategy to reach and you choose not to do it yourself, you're pathetic is what he's saying. Now, I, I, I would have to agree. I would have to agree. In fact, this man... Whoever he was, I love the fact, I applaud the fact that he was so creative that he decided to go into a world where the sinners exist, just like Jesus did, and somehow, some way, create an opportunity by being creative to help share his faith a little bit. That's one of the things that I like to do. In fact, this afternoon at 2 o'clock, I am hosting a cigar social right here at East Point, and there have been a lot of people who have not come up to me and said anything, but it's kind of come through the grapevine. That's the way things work. And they have voiced some level of disapproval in that that's, that's just an inappropriate way to try to connect our community with Christ. <laughs> Let me just briefly answer that, okay? 
please don't show up. Okay, moving on. The last thing that God taught me, and this is probably the most important thing out of all of it, is to be healthy. To be healthy. You know, that's one of the things that is so hard, believe it or not, for a, a Christian to do, is to remain healthy. Let me read to you a verse here. It's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Again, if you're a churchy person, you've probably seen this before. He's what he says. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. All right. Let me explain this a little bit. He's talking about two things here, two actions. One is called the remaining action, and the other is called the, the producing fruit action. What he is saying to these disciples here, and it's not in code, it's somewhat simple, is that your responsibility is to remain in me. And then what's going to happen when you remain in me, can we hit the rewind button and do that over again? What happens when you remain in me is I begin to develop something in you called fruit. It's witnessable to everybody around you. Let me, let me explain this a little bit more in a personal way. Going to church is not fruit. Going to church is the remain in me part. When I tell you I'm excited about you showing up to church, I'm talking about the remaining in Jesus part. It's when you pray, it's when you read your Bible, it's when you read some book that's written by some dude who's wanting you to know more about the Bible or more about Jesus. It's when you're listening to those songs that kind of inspire you to be something more of a passionate believer. Those are the remain in Jesus things that we do. That's not fruit. So if you're thinking, hey, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to church and that really says an awful lot. No, that's what this says is that you're, you're doing your best to remain in Jesus. Fruit Fruit is when you take it and you begin to apply those things inside of this place or outside of this place. It's when you do more than just know that you're supposed to love your spouse, but you actually live it out. It's when you know you're supposed to do more than just give your kids time and attention. It's when you actually do it. That's where fruit is seen. It's when you, you logically know that all of the super cool stuff that you hear about God and you hear about Jesus, and you hear about all the stuff that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, is when you actually then allow for the Holy Spirit to start producing that in your life, and other people are looking at it, and they go, whoa, man, wow, nice fruit. That's maybe not what they say, but that's kind of a roundabout way, a spiritualized way of saying it. That's, that's fruit. God wants us to reach. He wants us to be relational. He wants us to be excellent. He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be creative. He wants us to be healthy. Those five things, that reach, are our core values here. It drives everything that we do. Everything that we do, somehow, some way, in this process of loving God and loving others, we have to all wonder at some point in time in our, our progression of our, our, our relationship with God, how good is my reach? Am I being relational? Am I being excellent? Am I being authentic? Am I being creative? Am I, am I being healthy? 
Those are the things that God wants from us, and that fruit should be visible to other people around us. Now, I mentioned earlier that I am a, a pastor here at East Point that has the responsibility of, of overseeing missions. I do. I also have a responsibility of overseeing all the children's ministry. And so those one of, that's one of the things that's, that's really on my heart all the time, is how, how I can reach children. Here's why. I know that many of you are, are in a world or in an environment where you are around a lot of adults, maybe not necessarily around a lot of kids unless they're your own. But here's something that maybe you don't know. Did you know that right next door to us, literally within the same building, there are a whole bunch of little kids that right now are forming their opinion about Jesus Christ? Did you know that there is an 85% chance that they will believe in Jesus Christ if somebody enters into their world and loves them prior to the age of 14? 85% chance that they will fall madly and deeply in love with Jesus Christ if somebody will just get into their world and show them that love. Between the ages of 4 and 14, there is an 85 for, Are you, you catching this? I mean, I could have put it up on the screen for all you visual people, but I'm just going to sit here and repeat it for a couple of minutes instead. <laughs> 85% chance that they're going to grow up believing in Jesus Christ, fall madly, deeply in love with him, if somebody would just show up and show them that love. So, I want to give you guys some examples today of how to reach for children. I want to challenge you to increase your reach. I want to challenge you to make your reach count for something. I want to give you four ways. Two of which might cost you something. See, this Christmas, as a church, we are going to embrace two things that are going to impact our, our community and one that's going to impact our world. Maybe you've heard of Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child is something we participate in every year. We are looking for people right now that will help with the organizational structure of that. Not just people who are going to be willing to get a shoebox and help, but people who are willing to make the team ready. After the service, I'm going to ask you to go back to that sign back there that says missions on it. And if you're ready to be a part of that organizational team to help with Operation Christmas Child, you sign on. The other thing that we're going to be doing here is tree of sharing. We are going to take some people, some children within our community. The Hutton Settlement is an orphanage. We're going to buy gifts for every single one of those kids. East Point Church is. Well, the other thing we're going to do is there's Hearth Homes. That's a transitional housing for women who are being abused. We're going to buy every single one of those kids a gift too. And we're also going to go to Ann Ogden Hall. And we're going to buy every single one of those kids a gift too. That's going to be our tree of sharing. We're going to impact those kids in our community. Okay? Yeah. It's awesome. Love it. But that means it's you, us, we're going to be the ones who are going to be doing that. So I need help with people signing up for that, getting that team ready. Those are the two things that might cost you some money. Now here's some things that might cost you some time. We have a Reading Buddies program. Did you know that every single year now for about maybe the last four or five years, has it been, Kelly, about that long? We've been doing a, a Reading Buddy program at Opportunity Elementary School. And we show up and we help these kids to learn how to read better. And in that environment, here's what ends up happening. Those kids know that I'm a pastor, and they know that almost every single one of the people who are there are somehow, some way connected to one of the churches. And these third grade kids get it. They get that the reason why we're there is not because we're trying to somehow, some way, slip a little Jesus in. No, what we're doing is we are loving them, and we are investing into them. 
and the teachers pick up on it, and the school district has picked up on it. And to this day, Central Valley School District has contacted East Point and has asked East Point to be a part of their strategic team to develop ways for the churches to be able to, to work with the schools. Yeah. So if you want to be a part of Reading Buddies after church, you go back there and you sign up. That's the third thing. It costs you some time. The fourth thing is this. Brace yourself. I want you to help an adventure land with me. Some of you are parents out there, and they're your kids. And I want to be right beside you as we love on them and help them. I want to make sure that we are maximizing that 85% chance to its limits. In fact, I'd love to be able to see it increase a little bit as a direct result of the way that people love on kids here. I need you to sign up. Here's what I don't want from you. I don't want, whoo, boy. I almost made a big mistake there. There's no beep button up here, is there? Whoo, calm down, man. <laughs> you have no idea how close I was. Here's what I don't want. I don't want any lame excuses. People tell me all the time, I don't have time for that. Yes, you do. We're all been given the same amount of time. You're just using it in the things that you think that are most important. Children are one of the most important things to Jesus. He almost lit up his disciples when they said, get these kids away from me. Get them away from Jesus. And he's like, I'm about to bust you up with my reach. You let these kids come to me. I'm sorry if that offends you. If that offends you, then you need to understand something about East Point. Guys, we love our kids here. They are our future. We have kids and grandkids here that need to know that Jesus loves them. And as far as I see it, there are about 280 volunteers in this room who are investing into the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. But not only into adults, but into kids. That's what I want you to do. I want you to sign up to help in one of those four ways today. Last week, Brian gave the same push. We got three people. That's not East Point. Today, I hope to see a lot of names on that. We'll help you. We'll train you. We understand that getting there and working with kids, whether it be with tree sharing, Operation Christmas Child, Reading Buddies, or Adventureland, means that sometimes it's like, are you, are you going to teach me how to do this? Are you going to teach me how to be patient? No, we don't hand out Valium prior to the service. We teach you how to deal with it. We will teach you. We will train you. That's what I would love to be able to see from people today is to apply what it is that you've learned. Let some fruit begin to be developed and seen in your life. Increase your reach. Make it count for something. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for what it is that you're doing inside of their hearts even right now. Lord, you know me. You know my heart. You, you know that I, I am not a man who can do what you do. No one can. No one can get up here on a platform and speak a bunch of words in a series of 30 minutes and have it do what you can do. So, Lord, I beg of you, take what words that I, I offered up here and make them land in the hearts of these people so that they hear only the good stuff and that their hearts are motivated to change, that they understand in this meager attempt to be able to communicate something of value, that they understand that what you want to do in them, Lord, is amazing and it's miraculous through your spirit. May he, he, she listen to your spirit and grow in that. Father, I, I ask that you bless every single person here today with this incredible awareness of your presence in their life and then instruct them. 
The best way that you know how is so far better than what I know how. And I'm trusting you to do that. I'm begging you to do that. Lord, I understand that there are people in this room right now who are thinking, man, I don't even know the first step. I don't even have a reach. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to offer up a simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you to quietly to yourself just make this prayer your own. It's just simple. Lord, I, I don't know where to begin, but I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you that I understand that my life is not really all that great when I'm in control. And I'm ready to give that up to you. I'm ready to have my reach count for something. I'm ready to have you take over my life. And if that means that I, I surrender control to you, then that, that's, that's what I'm giving to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my ignorance. Forgive me of the stupidity. I ask you to help me to learn how to forgive other people and what they've done and how they've done that to me or to others. Change me. Make me into somebody new and give me a good, clean, fresh start. I want to be a part of what it is that you're doing. Change my life, Lord. If that prayer is yours, if you just made that prayer your own, what, what we're told and what I've experienced and so many others have experienced too is immediately the Holy Spirit begins to make a change in your life and it says that you are sealed, that you've been identified even right now as a person who is a child of God and that God is even at this moment making you aware of it. Father, bless us all. Bless us all. I pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to sing through one more song. We have ushers who are standing by. They're going to pass out some offering bags. If you're one of the guests with us today and you filled out that, that connection card, fold that thing in half, stuff that into that offering bag, we'd be happy to get that from you. I'm going to ask you to stand. When we're done singing this song, I'm going to come back up and I'll dismiss us. Okay, before you guys go, I want to let you know about three things real quick. One, if you made that prayer your own today, on each one of the tables by the doors is this new believer packet. Please grab that. We'd love to be able to connect with you through this. Also, communion is the second thing. If you want to take communion today, we've got it at both sides of the room. Feel free to go over there. The bread is in the cup beneath the, the, the juice cup. Third thing, if you want prayer, you make your way forward where everybody else is making their way out. We'd be happy to pray for you. Don't forget about that table back there. Love you guys. See you next week.